Well, a very, <coughs> very good morning to you all this morning. Um, it's good to see you all here, and those of you who are online too. Uh, I want us to hold that thought. Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Uh, in Luke's Gospel, uh, when Jesus met two of his friends, uh, we read this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Father, we pray that as we look at your word, uh, you will show us the Lord Jesus, uh, that we may focus on him and lift him up in our hearts and in our lives. For we ask it to his glory. Amen. It's a big book, isn't it, Exodus? Uh, 40 chapters. Uh, if you uh, sit and read it, it'll probably take you just over the hour. Um, whether you can remember what it was at the beginning by the time you get to the end is a different question, uh, and one which is increasingly challenging. But it is a unity. It is one book. Uh, it's part of a bigger section as well, isn't it? The Pentateuch, the first five books. Um, and so there is a a flow right the way through the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, there is a, a question, and quite often in Scripture, uh, we get questions, and quite often they come from oppo the opposition, if I can put it that way. And in Exodus in chapter 5 and verse 2, we hear Pharaoh saying, Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? and let Israel go. And that question flows all the way through the book of Exodus. Who is Yahweh? Who is he? Um, and as you read through, you will come across uh, little phrases, such as in chapter 6 and verse 7, um, which says, I will take you, this is God speaking, as my own people, and I will be your God then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Who is Yahweh? He will reveal himself. He is the one who has redeemed. Uh, that thread runs through. And it runs through all of the different genres of writing that we have in Exodus. I've been privileged over the last few weeks to have preached on a song, something I don't think really suits me, but there is singing. Uh, there is, of course, law, some of which sounds a bit strange to our ears. And there is instruction. And, and there is story. A fancy word for story is narrative. There is narrative. Because God didn't reveal himself in a set of bullet points. He didn't tell us, you know, you've got to believe one to ten. Um, he revealed himself through history. And the section that we are going to look at today consists not of one, not of two, and I'm not an East End Barrow boy, but three chapters. Chapters 32, 
33 and 34. And they give us a piece of narrative that is sandwiched in between two sections of instruction. The instruction that Moses received on the mountain and then the instruction for actually putting that into place. And right in the centre, we've got this narrative. It's as if uh, Moses, the writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying, let's pause for a moment and see what actually happens. And what we're going to see is four things. Uh, first of all, we're going to see that the law cannot save. The law cannot save. Secondly, we're going to see that Moses pleads with God. After that, we're going to see that God graciously renews the covenant. And finally, we're going to remember that our focus is on the Lord Jesus and we're going to see that we have a far more glorious covenant. Stick with me, uh, and we'll go at breakneck speed. Sometimes we'll be a little off-piste, but hopefully we will keep going. I want you to imagine the scene. Uh, Moses has been up the mountain. He's been there maybe for five weeks, getting on for six weeks. The people down on the plane, they're wondering, well, what's happened to him? What's, where's he gone? What have we got to do now? What should we do next? And they get a bit impatient. It's only about three months since they've left Egypt, but they're keen to move on. And they come to Aaron, who has been left in charge, and they say to him, in verse 1 of chapter 32, come, make us gods who will go before us. Uh, if your Bible is like mine, you might see at the bottom, it says you can translate that, make us a, a god who can go before us. And Aaron listens to them, and they put together, um, as we read, or as uh, Teresa read, they get all their gold, and they make a golden calf. And they say to this, or about this golden calf, in verse 4, these are your gods, or this is your God, who brought you up out of Egypt. They are giving to that calf, that image, that piece of gold, the, um, the glory that should have been given to God. And Aaron um, listens to them again and he, and, he start, and he says, tomorrow there will be a festival, and it's not a festival to the golden calf god, it's a festival to Yahweh. When we see in... Um, block capital letters, the word Lord, that is Yahweh. So they're going to have a festival to Yahweh, but they're representing Yahweh with this calf. Have they gone mad? Uh, let's just think and pause for a moment, because the next thing we hear is back up the mountain, and God is talking to Moses and telling Moses what's going on. And it says... Uh, in verse 10, leave me, this is God speaking, leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them. It speaks of his fierce anger. Uh, in verse 12, God is absolutely incensed 
at what is happening down on the plain. Now, is this an overreaction? Um, well, let's just consider what they have done. God has clearly given them his instructions. The first instruction, you shall have no other gods besides me. They've said, make us gods. You shall not make for yourself, and in the old versions it says, a graven image. And we read that Aaron fashioned this idol, and the word means with a graving tool, a chisel. So they've broken number one and number two. We've read, if we've followed through uh, Exodus, that there were to be three appointed feasts during the year, and only three. And Aaron is here saying, let's just have another one. Let's have a feast tomorrow to Yahweh. Um, it is man-made religion. They have turned away from the living God. They have given the glory that was due to God to the things that they had made. And God is furious. And up the mountain, uh, this conversation goes on between God and Moses. Um, and God is apparently all for destroying the people. But Moses pleads for the people and he um, reminds God that God has promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that he will take those people into the promised land. And he calls him back to his promise and God is faithful to his promise. Back in chapter 24 and verse 3, um, the Israelites had said, all that God has spoken, we will do. And Moses is up the mountain. The reason he's up there is that he is collecting these tablets with God's word written on them. These take-two tablets. Uh, it's not that you take them twice a day, but there are two of them and we'll come, we'll come back to it. But as he, he's up the mountain... Joseph, uh, not Joseph, but Joshua is halfway down the mountain waiting for him. And having established that there is all of this going on down on the plain, having um, been assured by God that God will keep his promise, Moses descends. And it's when he sees the golden calf, what do we read? Um, he approached the camp, saw the calf, this is verse 19, and the dancing, and his anger burned. Just as God's anger had burned, Moses' anger burns. And he throws the tablets to the ground and breaks them into pieces. Those tablets were the agreement, the covenant between God and man, and they are smashed to pieces. And he takes the golden calf and he sets fire to it and he grinds it to dust and he makes the people drink it. Uh, and then he sends out the Levites who go back and forth through the camp, killing people, 3,000 people. And even so, more death follows. 
because the Lord sends a plague later on. It is a terrible, terrible event. A turning away from what God has said. Um, it says in verse 6, after, afterwards, this is after they've sacrificed the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, very similar to what the elders did when they went up the mountain with Moses. So, so far so good. But then it says they rose up to indulge in revelry. Let's make no bones about it. That was an orgy. Having dispensed with commandments number one and two, well, what did the other commandments matter? Uh, adultery? Oh, that's okay. Um, once they got rid of the one God, their ethics took a nosedive. So, the law cannot save. They had the law. It didn't save them. The covenant, the law, was broken. It was literally smashed to pieces. But secondly, we, we know that Moses pleads with God. When we get to verse uh, 30, we read, The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And uh, he goes back to the Lord and he admits that sin. Verse 31, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They had made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Moses pleads with God. He offers himself as an atonement. But God is just, and God says, no, I'm not going to blot you out. I will blot out the ones who deserve to be blotted out. Um, and the, um, the plague follows. And then we get into chapter 33. And we have this funny little um, vignette of Moses uh, and his special tent. So when we're in chapter 33, verse 7, it says Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp. Um, why did he pitch it outside the camp? Why did he go to some distance? Well, the clue is in the first few verses of chapter 33. Because the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, go to the land, I will still defeat the enemies, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But in verse 3 he says, but I will not go with you. I will not go with you. The covenant is broken and God will not go with his people. Because, why won't he go with his people? Because they are stiff-necked and I might destroy you on the way. It's his mercy that stops him coming into the midst of his people because because of his holiness and because of their sin, they may be destroyed. And it's repeated in verse 5. 
If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Uh, the word is like completely wipe out. Um, to consume, to end those people. But there is a small sign of hope because it says in verse 5 and verse 6, take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites took off, stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. There's a sign here of repentance because when they heard that God wasn't going with them, um, they said it was a, a distressing word in verse 4. They mourned and no one put on their ornaments. There was real sorrow at the loss of fellowship with God. So Moses pleads with God, but there is still not reconciliation. Uh, thirdly, and uh, briefly, we, we read next that God graciously renews his covenant. Um, Moses goes out to his tent of meeting outside the camp and he meets face to face with God and in those meetings um, he says to God, well, if I found favour in your sight, then um, show me yourself, reassure me that you will go with us. And uh, we have the incident next where Moses goes back up the mountain and he is hidden in a cleft of the rock. The hand of God covers him and God passes by him. But before he gets up to the, uh, to the mountain, in the beginning of chapter 34, we read this. The Lord said to Moses, uh, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. There's the provision for renewing the covenant. And Moses takes these stones up the mountain, and he is hidden in that rock. God passes by, and God not only gives Moses new tablets, he gives him a new revelation. In verse 6 of chapter 34, we read these words, and they are foundational words for the whole of the Old Testament, indeed for the whole of the rest of Scripture. And God, the Lord, Yahweh, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generations. There is a new revelation of the character of God. Who is Yahweh that I should worship him? Yahweh is the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, but who punishes, uh, does not leave the guilty unpunished. 
It is because of God's mercy and his graciousness that the covenant is renewed. It's not because the people said they would keep the rules. And we see that although the covenant is renewed, it's the same demands that are put on them. Um, a lot of chapter 34, from verse 14 down to verse 26, is really a summary of the law that has been given. Look how verse 20, uh, 14 starts. Do not worship any other god. Well, does that sound familiar? Isn't that the first commandment? And then, in verse 26, we have that very strange sentence. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. And if you've been reading through Exodus, you'll know that that's a repeat of the last part of the case law. So, from the beginning of the Ten Commandments to the last part of the case law is summarised in those verses. And um, so the same demands are made. Um, and finally then, still up the mountain, the Lord said to Moses, verse 27, write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Um, Moses was there with the Lord 40 days, 40 nights, without eating bread or drinking water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. The covenant is renewed. And Moses then uh, descends. And we have another one of those funny little bits, and you think, well, why is that there? Because the next thing we read is that when he descends, down with the two new tablets, he was not aware, this is verse 29, that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. His face shone. It shone so brightly that they thought, this is like God being near us, and we, we can't stand that. Um, and they had to avert their gaze. They couldn't look at Moses, and Moses covered his face. But when he went back into the presence of the Lord, he uncovered his face. And Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to speak with the Lord. The covenant that they had was a glorious covenant. So glorious that Moses' face was radiant. It shone. I don't know if you remember our fourth point, but our fourth point is that we have an even more glorious covenant. We started our service in 2 Corinthians. Uh, if you were to turn to 2 Corinthians, which I think is page 1159 in the Church Bibles, and look at chapter 3, uh, you would find the following words. And we'll, we'll uh, just have a few of the verses from chapter 3, but do read the whole chapter when you're at home where Paul says to the Corinthians, and remember the Corinthians weren't exactly model Christians, but 
He says to them, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Wow. God was writing on their hearts. Verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, so that's the old covenant, isn't it? That's the one that Moses is just mediating. That, if that ministry brought death, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was. Notice he says, fading though it was. That glory of the, that was on Moses' face didn't last. If that was so great then, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has now no glory in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? And then the last verse of the chapter, and we who with unveiled faces all behold the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Apostle Paul was much more familiar with the Old Testament than I am but he brings that very passage to bear and says that the, the covenant that we have, the covenant that Jesus brought, is far more glorious. Moses met with God and couldn't see God face to face. The people of Israel, they only met with Moses. They didn't meet with God direct. So, there was a barrier between God and Moses and then a further barrier between Moses and the people. He put a veil on his face. Moses went up the mountain and pleaded for his people. He offered himself. Jesus has offered himself. Moses said, if I have found favour in your sight, then Forgive us. And we know that it's the favour that Jesus has with God. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That favour is given to us. Moses uh, knew that uh, God had forgiven. He says in chapter 34... Forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Well, in the Lord Jesus, God 
has forgiven us our sins and has taken us as his inheritance. The covenant we have is far more glorious. There is one greater than Moses who mediates that covenant. There is one greater than Moses who gave himself that that covenant might stand. There is one who enjoys greater favour than Moses, who shares that favour with us. And we, who with unveiled faces all behold the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There is no barrier between us and God. We can come directly into his presence. We can know directly his character because we see it and we meet it in the Lord Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for so great a salvation, taking us from the slavery of sin into the freedom of the Spirit. Father, we thank you that by your Holy Spirit you write your word on our heart and you apply to us uh, the forgiveness that the Lord Jesus himself bought for us. And Father, now as we come and we come around uh, the table, we pray that you will draw from us a deep sense of worship and thankfulness for all that Jesus has done. Amen.